Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. True boundaries are an inside job. And I learned that from the street hookers that I was around. It's about trusting yourself. If I feel weird in the first three seconds of being in a car with this John, I'm going to jump out regardless, no matter what. Stranger Connections is the embodiment of Lisa David Olson's perspective of we're all just friends who just simply haven't met yet. It's an exploration of the weirdly wonderful side of life and a look at the single commonality we have with each other, our differences. Slip off your shoes, pour a cup of your favorite, and let's meet this week's Barrel of Quirks. Welcome to Stranger Connections, where I celebrate wonderfully weird people and their quirky stories. I'm your curious beast and host, Lisa David Olson. So subscribe, leave a lovely review while you're there so people can find us. And hey, if you want to be my first sponsor, give me a shout. In this episode, I get to chat with Stacy Christopher, who definitely has some interesting stories. And I will also tell you about what kind of entrepreneur she is. But first, let's welcome Stacy Christopher to Stranger Connections. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for having me. This is fun. I love meeting new people. Now you're stuck with me. Now we're going to be friends. That's the deal. <laughs> that doesn't sound like too bad of a price to pay. <laughs> I'm so happy to connect today. I want to talk about, we'll start with your background and then we'll work up to your current work. And so they're very different. So people need to stay tuned for this chat. You used to write primarily about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. So that's that's what you describe as in your wheelhouse. Is that still true, yes. or was that back in your twenties? Um, you know, I it's those topics are like uh, Tuesday for me, right? So it's just a part <laughs> of everyday life. It's a part of family life. Um, it's part of who I am. My husband used to work in rock and roll. And, um, you know, my, my uh, son has a metal band and he's a filmmaker. So we're very much immersed in, you know, all things pop culture and culture in general. Um, so I think it was formative for me in my 20s. Um, I pursued those topics because they were fascinating. And, and truth be told, um, I was a journalist and I chose that profession because it gave me um, the right to just be nosy and ask any kind of questions that I wanted <laughs> I love that part. That that might be a little bit of why I podcast even. Yeah, so. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt it. It's so your son comes by the the metal band just genetically then because he couldn't get away from it between his parents uh, genetics. So does he need a name for it or is he all set because if you put a verb and a noun together or an adjective and a noun, you can have any band name in the world. 
Yeah. Um, well, his band is called Gentrified and he, it's a form of, of metal. It's a genre of metal, jet metal, um, that he's most drawn to. And so, uh, he came up with the name Gentrified for his band, but I think we need an adjective, not going to lie. Something like moist, gentrified or (laughs) crunchy. Don't use that that word with millennials. Trust me. No, that's why I say it. (laughs) My kids, mom, you can't use that word. It used to just all day long, but like, don't say, don't say moist. Exactly. It used to just describe your cake mix, but now it's somehow off, off boundaries here. So yeah. Yeah. So being a journalist led you into um, what you call a crash course into reporting about the dangers of street prostitutes in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. That is incredible. When, when was that? That was in the early 90s. And at the time, it was a very dangerous time for street prostitutes in the city. There were a lot of murders. Um, there was a high amount of crime. And I was fascinated by you know, what led people to to that career. Um, Coming from a feminist perspective, I didn't have the construct that they were doing something that they shouldn't be doing. I I had the construct and belief system that um, women have the right to choose what they want to do with their lives, even if it's, you know, sex work um, on the street in a dangerous job, because let's face it, some men work on, on, uh, oil platforms for ridiculous amounts of money because they're risking their lives every day. So, um, you know, I, I think I pay a lot of attention to hypocrisy and, um, that helps me have perspective. And so I just wanted to start asking questions like, um, how do you handle this? How, how, um, do you keep yourself safe? Um, what, what do you do to, um, you know, avoid uh, just a myriad of, of things that can get you in a dangerous situation really quick? And so yeah. this article and this research was a perfect way to kind of be nosy. I love that. And now it, it came into your mind. And so you just acted upon it. How does one just say, okay, well, I'm just going to follow around <laughs> some, some sex workers and just, you know, get in their business. I can't imagine that everyone was receptive to that. How did you approach and get into their world? Yeah. I mean, everybody is definitely not receptive. And I would say for the most part, definitely not receptive, but, um, as a trained journalist, you are taught how to approach people with sensitive subjects, um, how to give context to what it is that you're doing, um, how to relay the importance of your passion for telling the story. So all of those things really help um, when approaching a subject. So I worked for a magazine at the time, I pitched the idea to an editor, the editor was just as interested as I was. And so um, it just takes time building trust with sources, spending time listening to stories, listening more than talking. Um, And then that's when, you know, trust is established and amazing stories start coming forward. What is something you learned that might've been something that you thought, holy crap, I never thought this would come out of getting close to people on the streets. Well, I think overall, and this is something I wrote about recently on Facebook, um, 
you know, in this series that I'm writing called Hookers and Blow, and it's a conversation about boundaries and clarity. And <clears throat> it's the it's all the learning that I received about boundaries. And, you know, we think about boundaries as being something that we inform people, like, this is my rule book, don't do this, this, and this when you're around me. But it's so different than that. True boundaries are an inside job. And I learned that from the street hookers that I was around. It's about accessing your clarity. It's about taking action on your clarity. It's about trusting yourself. And all those things combined give you the skill set to be able to determine, like, if I feel weird in the first three seconds of being in a car with this John, I'm going to jump out regardless, no matter what. And so that's not a boundary that somebody's going to tell the John, hey, if I'm not comfortable with you, this is what's going to happen. And I don't want you to do anything to make me uncomfortable. It's really just a matter of knowing yourself, your priorities, what your needs are, trusting your inside voice, and then taking action, right? So that gave me a whole different perspective on what boundaries are. I thought it was fascinating. I love your open mind and your curiosity and just craving to learn other things that you might not already know. And I, I, I really appreciate that. You did not go in thinking, I bet I'll learn a whole lot more about boundaries. Right. You probably just thought, I wonder what it's like to be a hooker for a day. Yeah. And, you know, um, specifically, it was the danger part, you know, how to keep yourself safe. Um, women who are street hookers are, by and large, financially disadvantaged. Um it's real different than women who are call girls or do other type of sex work um, where there's a lot more opportunity in life in general and choice. Um, people are making a decision to be a street hooker have, you know, are run out of a lot of options. And so that piece being between a rock and a hard place is like what I found really fascinating. That is, and you shared a story, I think it was your first section of your articles, Hookers and Blow, about yourself learning a boundary with somebody named Dougie. Yes. So um, one night in my early 20s, I um, started hanging out with this guy who I just really wanted him to like me. There was something, I think it was the quintessential kind of bad boy type of of thing, maybe this feeling like, I think I can help him. I think I can save him. Ooh, that's every um, Lifetime movie. Right? I mean, I was living out the script of a bad Lifetime film in my early 20s. Um, and, you know, thank God that I didn't have to learn that for too long before I got the lesson. But I did find myself one night in this dingy studio apartment. Um, and, you know, there were a lot of drugs involved. And then that led to um, him and his dealer and his dealer's friend smoking crack and pa passing around a crack pipe. And then at one point offering that to me. And I still, you know, when I look back on it, I didn't know then, but um, my motivation was love and acceptance, right? I think that's at the core for all of us. Mm -hmm. And that need for love and acceptance should never be underestimated, right? So that need for love and acceptance could very well have had me taking a crack pipe and taking a hit off of a crack pipe. Not because I wanted to do drugs or wanted to do crack, but I wanted to fit in. But 
something, thank God, bubbled up within me. And like, I just kind of waved, waved it off with my hand. And then that was that. Um, but I realized like I found a boundary inside and it was based on my own care for myself and not whether this person cared or didn't care about me. So, yeah. But that moment and you were young and if you're trying to fit in and you want people to like you and you are sitting in a place that was definitely described as here's the beginning of my drug career. Right. How in the hell do you think you got that clarity in that moment to not just grab that pipe? That is amazing. You know, it's really interesting question. And, um, in the work that I've done with people, I find by and large, you know, what's the, the difference between people that make it and don't make it, right? What's the difference between people that spiral down a path that they have a very difficult time ever crawling out of and the people that don't? And what I have found is that there's usually one converse, sometimes it gets down to one conversation or one person in that person's life that believes in them right? There's always that one conversation. Maybe it's a conversation with a pastor or a counselor or a best friend, or maybe it's a a strong teacher figure. And I think that those people and those conversations and that impact have a way unconsciously of stepping forward in our moments of greatest need. And, And I think, you know, I've had those people in my life for sure. And I think it was them stepping forward. So you kind of heard like that, that voice on your shoulder saying, and eh, let's not do that just yet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And not even being conscious of why or what, or even having the time to process all that. It was just decision done, action taken. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. It, it, it could have just flipped right over. I'm so excited for that. What are your plans with your hookers and blow series? So I'm leading up to teaching a class in the end of of May, the beginning of June about clarity and boundaries and bringing to the conversation a lot of elements um, that I think need to be there in current sort of discussion, then it's not. So boundaries are a skill set. And we, you know, we may be fucked up for the rest of our life in all the various ways. I don't think that we really heal. Um, I don't even think that we should aspire to heal. Mm. I think that the most that we can aspire to is developing skill sets to deal with who we really are and accepting our true nature, right? So approaching boundaries from this perspective, and there's there's several different models that we look at, like what I call care, um, grief. Um, there's a lot of work about grief. If we can't accept grief, we can't accept setting a boundary because with every new boundary, there's inevitably some grief that comes with it and letting go of something that we had held on to. Um, so there's a lot of modules that we work through that's all about building skills to um, understand how boundaries are an inside job. And, you know, really it's just leading ourselves home so we can have a better sense of peace of mind and um, overall happiness, really. You said some beautiful things that are just actual comforting. I've had to do boundaries in my own family. You know, you hear people say, well, it's, it's uncle Philip. And he, he has to come to the Easter dinner because uh, it's uncle Philip. And I'm not that way. No, if yeah. uncle Philip has his, his grabby hands and makes everybody uncomfortable. No, you don't get to walk into my house. <laughs> exactly. That's an example. It's a made up character, but no, because he's family. 
That's the same right. as saying, oh, honey, go sit on Santa's lap. No, I don't want to. No, you go do that. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's a beautiful example because there's ways that we, especially as women, we abdicate um, our well-being to the outside world, right? Um, because we don't, we want that love and acceptance. Like I said, it often comes back to that and that will get us to betray ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. So um, one time I was on um, a group coaching call with somebody and, um, and the, the coach asked for, um, it, you know, it, an intuitive reading of who he was. And so I just raised my hand and I just went for it, but it pissed him off and he didn't want to hear it. And so, <laughs> oh, I didn't mean what, intuitive. I meant, tell me things I want to hear. <laughs> I'm like, well, why can't you just be clear from the start? And then I know what the rules are. Right. And so, you know, he got kind of chumpy about the whole thing. He got a little bit butt hurt. And, <laughs> um, and then, so what he started to do was kind of attack my character. And instead of saying like, look, asshole, you asked for something. I gave it to you. You didn't like the way it sounds. Let's just leave it at that. Right. Yeah. Um, I became like a 12 year old. Oh, and I betrayed myself. Right. And I let him treat me that way in a room full of, you know, a zoom room full of people. And this is me as a girl, this is only a few years ago. And so like, what I'm saying is like, we don't heal and that's okay. We just are who we are and we need skill sets. It's like, I forgot my skills in that moment. I forgot to like, know that it's okay to say, yeah, that's not my truth. It might be yours, but it's not mine. Right. And stand up for myself. Right. Um, So, yeah, I think there's a lot of ways that we, we can abdicate, you know, for the greater good or for people feeling comfortable or not, you know, causing, um, an uncomfortable moment at a family Thanksgiving dinner. Well, fuck that. Exactly. Exactly. I'm not the one that created the discomfort. Excellent. And and you're also the one that gets to, yes. And, and you're also the one that gets to choose the circle that you do invite over. It doesn't even have to be blood relative. If exactly, if your neighbor down the street means a lot to you, why not? So yeah, it's, it's, I hope that anybody listening knows of that. I I assume younger person that has boundary issues, but sometimes setting the boundary doesn't always make it like you can't come over, but it might open the conversation to the why. Yeah. And I say we have a choice whether or not to remove our presence, right? So if there's a relationship investment, if there's an exchange of love and care between people, yeah, you're going to hang in there and kind of work it out and say, this is how I feel. Can you work with that? Can we find a compromise? But when there's an absence of relationship or an acquaintance or um, a lack of true care, then our choice is, do I want to choose to stay here and take full responsibility that that's my choice and I'm not going to feel victimized in the situation because I know I'm choosing it with all information and eyes open? Or do I need to remove my presence? Right. That's always my choice. Choice is a huge word. And so when you are feeling the victim, it's your choice to walk away from that moment, collect your thoughts, find a sunbeam somewhere and revisit it or never go back. But you've got to make that choice. You you don't have another moment to relive the situation. 
It's, yeah, it's and never like I don't have way. anything to prove either. And so right. going back to to the hookers in San Francisco, their objective is to stay safe, make money, take care of their families, right? Yeah. Their objective isn't to like be the smartest person in the room or to be right. And when we let those things go, we really focus on what's my need here. Then we can make a, a decision from a much clearer place. I love that. Thank you so much for all the, the boundary clarity and people can connect with you, especially on Facebook, right? To catch more of these stories because it is wonderfully written. Of course, you're an eloquent writer and oh, I, I love the lesson within and it's just so engaging. So I, I want to lead people to your Facebook page for Stacy Louise Christopher is the way you are on Facebook. And you are currently a visual communication specialist. And I found that it says you help clients get noticed. So if people are out there in this noisy, chattery social media world, look at me, look what I had for lunch. How can I get noticed as a business? Yeah, this whole boundaries and clarity thing is a little bit of a pivot for me, but it's so near and dear to my heart that um, I've you know been studying it for six years and studying how to teach it for the last two years. Um, so it, it's a little bit of a you know um, pivot from what I normally do as a visual communication expert. But what I what I do in visual communication, I've studied all the neuroscience and it's fascinating really when you get into it how you can stop the scroll with a simple hand-drawn image and why that works. So basically the long and short of it is, and I tell this story a lot, is that when we were evolving as early humans, we would go into caves to tell our stories and we wouldn't draw these elaborate Michelangelo murals. We would draw simple stick figures and shapes to tell our most important stories because that was how they were understood the fastest and the clearest. So as we're evolving, the reticular activating system is the oldest part of our brain is evolving with us as we're learning to communicate in that way. And with social media and information overload, we started to lose contact with that part of our communication system. So when people see that online and see that in their newsfeed, it wakes up the RAS, it gets them to like lock on with attention. And I call it prairie dogging. Like you just somebody pops their head out of their <laughs> hole, like what's going on here? And, and for that reason, it's super, super effective. So my clients have just done amazing things like closed, you know, $35,000 deal using visual communication, um, grown their legion, grown, um, you know, their revenue, all kinds of amazing things with visual communication. So it's my passion as well as rock and roll and drugs and sex and, boundaries and clarity <laughs> hookers and blow <laughs> yeah <laughs> would you say that visual photos are better than a quick video or a, a facebook live is there any kind of difference or should you mix it up well i i tell all of my clients in their marketing they need everything in their toolbox right so live stream video written long form story post um even audio ways that we can involve audio And then as far as visual communication, there's four main categories, which is photos, videos, infographics, and hand-drawn graphics. Hand-drawn graphics is my jam, and it's the category that um, is forecasted, and it has the statistics behind it that has the most dramatic effect. 
and forecasting. Oh, yeah, I never had heard it put that way about hand-drawn graphics. That's really cool. I'll have to go look at that. Yeah, it's relatively new. You know, it, we've done this in corporate environments when we're doing team building or spreading information within the company. But I think I might be the pioneer in bringing this to online marketing space and teaching people how to actually use this in their marketing. That is great. You, I just love your brain. I do. I, I do, do, do. Now tell me out of your brain, do you have a prank or a dare story, either one that you've done or had oh. done to you? I'm oh, thinking yes. Goodness. Um, yeah, again, you know, like how I said, talk about drugs or sex or rock and rolls like Tuesday over here. Well, so is it with pranks and my son and I probably on the reg are gasping for air because we're laughing so hard over one prank or another, but it's a lot, there's a long family history, right? Um, I'm going to actually share something going way back to that time in my early twenties when I came home from college um, and I was coming to visit my mom and I hadn't seen her in quite a while. And I had been in a thrift store and I found this, and it was actually when I was doing the hookers, uh, the street hookers research, I'd been with a prostitute uh, in San Francisco. We'd gone into um, a thrift store and I found this gnarly old scraggly wig and her and I were trying it on and laughing about, you know, making jokes about what it would be like to go to work with this wig on. So I bought the thing and I thought, how funny if I wear this home because it looked <laughs> thrashed, but it, it, it could kind of like kind of pass for real hair, right? So I get a block away from the house, I get this gnarly wig on, I get it tied down with this like zebra bandana or something ridiculous that I would never wear. <laughs> Um, cause you know, it was early nineties, all, everything's all black, right? Grunge. Right. Yeah. And, uh, Zebra and neon were done for a bit. Yeah. And so I walk in the house and, and before I got there, like leading up to it, I put in, you know, the front loading work and it's like, I got my hair cut. I don't know. I got it colored. It's really kind of dried out, but I want your opinion. <laughs> so like you know, I laid the groundwork, right. <laughs> and I walk in the house. And I'm like, mom, I'm so excited. I just look like the <laughs> color drained out of her face. Like how the hell am I going to tell her this looks like shit? <laughs> and so I'm like, what? You don't like it? I mean, like I spent a lot of money on getting it colored. <laughs> She's like, well, you know, maybe there's some things we can do with it. And I'm like, I don't know, just like run your hand through it. And, uh, <laughs> Finger comb that mess. <laughs> yeah. That's what she did. And I kind of tilt my head. I had it positioned that it would fall off <laughs> and like it fell off in her hand and she screamed like, ah, you know, I broke you. <laughs> yeah. This, this is not good. Oh my gosh. Oh. We laughed hard about that. She was so relieved. Yes, she was. But it's such a great story because you wanted to see if she would be kind, like, well, we can probably condition it. Right. Yeah. I was totally playing on her like finer nature, really putting it to the test. When one of my sons was around 14, he just kept gluing on a tiny little rhinestone on his nostril. And I kept saying, knock it off. He's like, but mama, I want, I want that, you know? And I finally thought, you know, it's not hurting anything. Uh -huh. And so every day he'd glue this thing on. Well, it turns out 
you get used to seeing it. No, he, after a while, of course he got it pierced. He had said right. something and when he put his head up, I saw the, the earring back inside of his nose. It caught my eye. You're like, is that a booger? Like what, got, what is it to- You got a metal boogers, club. which is you also a, a great- in the cave. Great, another great band name, metal boogers. Write that down for yourself. Right. But <laughs> see what I mean? Adjective and noun. So yes, he, they think that's one of the funniest things ever is that he had his nose pierced for I don't know how long before I actually knew it was really done. So was the sequin really a sequin or was it a nose ring? For a long time, it was just a little stud, like a little, um, you know, little Swarovski flat back uh-huh. crystal. And he would just glue it on his nose every yeah. morning. Yeah, yeah. I was like, you do you, you know. And then- <laughs> That's so funny. Come to think of it, I don't even know where he got it pierced as a teen. I'm sure it was his friend with a, what, with an ice cube and a needle. Yeah, I'm sure. that's how I got my ears pierced. Exactly. Potatoes and late uh-huh. night TV and yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, where can people find you, Stacy Christopher, so that they can connect if they want to talk more about visual communication and learning all about hand-drawn graphics, which is your jam? Uh, StacyChristopher.com. So it's S-T-A-C-Y-C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R.com is my website. Um, I can also get emailed at um, Stacy at stacychristopher.com and people can find me and follow me on Facebook as Stacy Louise Christopher. Fabulous. I am honored to have chatted with you, Stacy Christopher. And remember that we can only be strangers once. And I invite you to stay weird. Aw, lovely chat. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. Thank you. This has been Stranger Connections with Lisa David Olson.